I know it's not uncommon in my work as a chaplain at the hospital for someone to say of themselves or of a loved one who may very soon die that they're ready to go, that they want to die. And sadly, what's very common for me to hear next is for that person to say they just want to go and be with mom again. Or maybe with a spouse or a child who had passed away before them. And when they say that, it saddens me at hearing them say that rather than to hear them say, because I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to behold my Savior face to face. I want to be in God's presence. They should want to go to heaven. We should want to be in heaven because God is there. As people of faith being focused upon the Lord and and being supremely desirous of being in his presence should be among our greatest motivations, our greatest desires. You know, that wasn't Jonah's primary focus. It seemed that Jonah wanted to attempt to flee from the presence of the Lord and and he wasn't interested at all in helping other people to learn how to be in a joyful, saving relationship with God either. For our time together today, I'd like for us to take some time and we'll share with you some of the things that we shared with the kids at VBS this week. And as we do that, we'll also see what we might be able to learn from this book of Jonah and about the Lord and about us as well. So I'll invite you to please turn to Jonah. Um, If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find them on page 774. Let's pray again and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord God, um, we thank you for your enduring word in our Sunday school class today. We learned about the importance of the authority of Scripture. And Lord, we thank you for this portion of your holy word. Lord, may we receive it as that, as your authoritative holy word. And Lord, would you use it to the effect that you intend to use it for your people, um, for the building up of the saints. Lord, this isn't just some children's story. This isn't a myth, but Lord, this is truth, and it's truth that comes from your very mouth. Lord, bless the hearing and preaching of your word, we pray. Amen. Well, the book of Jonah is a short little book, just four short chapters, and each of the chapters represents a different scene of of a story. The first scene is primarily that of Jonah at sea, seeking to flee the presence of the Lord and God's mission for him. The second chapter is a plea for deliverance. The third chapter, the third scene, occurs within the city of Nineveh. And then the fourth chapter, the fourth scene, occurs just outside of the city. Let's look first at Jonah chapter 1. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we'll be working our way through, through this whole, whole book this morning. Uh, The word of the Lord says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now we don't know a lot about Jonah. Mostly what we know about Jonah is what we read in these 
four chapters. There is a reference in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, which helps us to understand that Jonah lived in the middle of the 1700s. The word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, which is a seaport, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a a city of great repute in northern Iraq, just outside of present-day Mosul. It was a pagan city. It was among the largest cities of the world in the years following these events of this book. And it was a major center of the Assyrian Empire. And that probably led to Jonah's reluctance to go there. Jonah wanted, I'm, I'm sorry, Jonah, and forgive me, I will probably say Noah half of the times that I mean to refer to Jonah today because it seems that's what I, what I did throughout much of this last week. Jonah wanted nothing to do with Nineveh. He wanted nothing to do either with the Lord or with the Lord's calling on his life, it seems. And so rather than to do as the Lord desired for him to do, Jonah did the exact opposite. The Lord instructed to go east to Nineveh. So what does Jonah do? He goes west instead. And not only did he go west, but he tried to go as far west as a person could go. The Lord wanted him to travel a couple of hundred miles to the east, but instead Jonah booked a voyage to Tarshish more than 2,000 miles away along the western coast of Spain, as far away as you can get from from Nineveh, as far away Jonah was hoping as he could get from the Lord. And that presents a couple of questions for you and I today. Are we seeking to run away from the Lord in any area of our life? Are you and I accepting the mission that the Lord's given to us? Or are we refusing to do what he's called us to do as Jonah attempted? Do you delight in the presence and in the will of the Lord? Or is that maybe the last place you want to be? Those really are the great questions of this book. Do we delight in the Lord? And will we do what God calls us to do? Jonah attempts to flee from the presence of the Lord, but as he and we will soon learn, that's foolishness. It's foolishness to attempt to run from the Lord. And heartache will follow whenever we may try that. Jonah seeks to flee from the presence of the Lord, then verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. The storm was so bad that these hardened, experienced sailors feared for their lives. And we're told here that each cried out to his God. 
These weren't men who knew and who trusted in the God of the Bible, but their gods were among the pagan gods. Their gods were false gods. And what we'll see here is that their false gods could not save them. Their false gods couldn't do anything for them. For truly they were, in essence, in actuality, no God at all. Then they hurled the cargo that was into the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And then we read this strange statement in verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Then verse 6, the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God, the God, will give us a thought so that we may not perish. Notice there, I think they're just desperate. None of the gods who we prayed for so far have been able to deliver us. You're from Israel. Maybe your God will do something. Maybe they didn't even know that he was from Israel. There was some conversation, we'll see that a little bit later, um, that Jonah had told them some things before they departed. Um, So whether they're wanting him to pray to the God of Israel, that could be a possibility, but most likely it's just pray to a God, any God. We're desperate here. Probably that's the case, actually, as I think about it, because notice that this, um, the way that this appears in Scripture, your God, G-O-D, um, that's a common, um, common description of any God, including false gods. Sailors then try to ascertain why it is that this trouble has come upon them. Verse 7, they say to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. The Lord enables them to figure out that Jonah is responsible for their plight. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now don't miss what God is accomplishing here. Jonah was commissioned by God to be a prophet to the Gentiles, to the Ninevites. And what's Jonah doing here? He's being a prophet to the Gentiles. He's telling these pagan, idolatrous sailors about the God who is the creator of all things. God is enabling Jonah to fulfill his general calling of being his representative to those who do not know him in spite of his reluctance. Not to the Ninevites at this time, but to Gentiles and those who are far from him, those who don't know the Lord in a saving way. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And here, even though Jonah tells them that if they throw him into the sea, the storm will stop, the sailors don't do that at this moment. 
Instead, verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, and look what they're doing here. These sailors, these pagans, they cry out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Then verse 15, then they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And when the men saw this happen, that the storm ceased immediately upon their throwing Jonah into it, just like he said his God would accomplish for them, um, when, when they did that, when they saw that, verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Here it seems that these pagan sailors embrace the Lord God in faith upon experiencing this. And here we see a picture of the salvation that will come through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Here Jonah prefigures Christ. He offers his life as a means for these sailors to preserve their lives. Just as Jesus died in the place of any who would trust in him, here we see Jonah offer up his life so that these sailors could live. And then in verse 17 we read, And then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And don't miss how this is a grace of the Lord. Jonah was thrown into the ocean, thrown into the deep, where very possibly, very likely even, he would have drowned. But the Lord saved his life. The Lord preserved his life by sovereignly appointing this great fish to come to swallow him up and to preserve his life. Again, just as, as Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days, here we see Jonah in the belly of this great fish for three days. And this represents a kind of dying to himself, as we'll see in just a bit. Because in chapter 2, Jonah remembers the Lord, and he cries out to him. He acknowledges his wrongdoing. He cries out to the Lord, and the Lord delivers them delivers him. And then in verse 10 of chapter 2, and I think this was the children's favorite verse of this week, we're told, and then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. We come to chapter 3, and here we see that Jonah's had a change of heart, at least a temporary change of heart. Verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. And again, here we see another grace. Our reluctance and our disobedience doesn't lead God to abandon us and to want to have nothing to do with us. But he brings grace upon grace. And here he brings this grace of coming to Noah a second time and speaking to him. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. This also is a grace that God sends out messengers. That God sends out messengers to declare the good news of the gospel. That he doesn't, he doesn't keep people from understanding that there is a judgment that is to come if they will not embrace him in faith. God sending Jonah out to Nineveh also shows us how God, even in the Old Testament, wasn't only interested in bringing Israelites to a saving knowledge of him. But as we see here, he offers salvation and deliverance from the consequence and the penalty of sin, even to the enemies of Israel. The Assyrians. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. It took three days to walk from one end of Nineveh to the other. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Again, another grace of the Lord. God calls sinners to repent, and he delights to see them doing to, to, to them do that. He receives glory as sinners repent. Verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Even people as wicked as the as the Ninevites. Even people as wicked as you and I have been in our lifetime can be saved, can be redeemed by the Lord. And that's because saving faith, belief in Christ is a grace. Again, one of our memory verses from this week. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace and faith are gifts from the Lord. Even repentance, Acts 11.18 tells us, is a grace, a gift from the Lord as well. So here we see these wicked pagans of Nineveh turn from their false gods and they respond to this proclamation of pending doom if they do not repent and they embrace the one true God of heaven in faith. Verse 5 continues, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And as you know, putting on sackcloth and fasting are some of the practices that ancient people would do as a sign of their repentance. Again, God delights to see sinners repent. Luke 15, 7 tells us that there is much joy in heaven whenever a sinner repents. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Again, another one of the outward signs of repentance, putting on ashes. Here's another demonstration also of God's grace. He causes sinners to humble themselves. And this is a grace he's even able to bring kings low his word tells us. Verse 7, the king issued a proclamation that was published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. 
Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. You know, God gives kings and political leaders to be a blessing to their people, we're told in Scripture. And here we see the king of Nineveh responding and leading in the proper way. And again, this is a turning specifically to the Lord, to Yahweh. They're turning from trusting in their former pagan false gods, and they're now embracing the one true God in faith. The king issues a proclamation saying, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. They acknowledge that their prior way of living was evil and this decree is issued to walk in righteousness. Verse 9, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And here I just want to point out, you remember the proclamation At least it's one sentence. Did the Lord give Jonah a grander message than to just say, in 40 days you will experience judgment? That may have very well just been a summary. And in Scripture, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you will see the Lord make a proclamation of pending judgment. And then many times it will include an explicit call to repentance. And if you turn, I will not bring this tragedy upon you. Other times you don't see that explicit call to repentance and promise of forgiveness, but it's always at least implicitly there. So whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you see that proclamation of a coming judgment. Understand that that's a call to repentance. And understand that there is an inherent promise of the Lord that if you heed this warning, you will escape this judgment. Um, The king says, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. The Lord delights in making a way for repentant sinners to be granted eternal life. Again, a memory verse from this week, John 3.16. For God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do this. And here we see that principle of the Lord granting forgiveness rather than wrath. In Jonah, we see how God takes former enemies, former enemies of his people, the Jews, and former enemies of himself, people who would rightly be his objects of wrath. And he's pleased to cause them to be transformed and to become trophies of his grace and mercy. Romans 5, 6 through 11 tells us about how he does that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. In that passage, Paul tells us, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by, from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So the former enemies of God, the people of Nineveh, repent. And so Jonah responds with great gladness, right? You would think that he would, because he was sent there as God's representative to call them to repentance. But it seems that maybe he was just interested in declaring judgment. And we see that in these verses that follow. Let's look at, at chapter 4 now. So the people of Nineveh repents. How does Jonah, the prophet of God, respond? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, See, told you. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's trying to justify his sin, his disobedience. And look at the reason why. Look at the reason for Jonah's anger against the Lord. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. If you're the kind of God who, who forgives sinners, I don't want to live anymore, Jonah says. Jonah, this man commissioned by God to be a prophet to the Ninevites, is angry with the Lord because the Lord has shown mercy to them. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Do you do well to be angry? And to that question, Jonah is convinced that he is in the right to be mad at God. The Lord continues to try to teach Jonah by bringing both blessing and adversity in the verses that follow. Verse 5, Jonah went out to the city and sat at the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. He was still hoping that the city might be wiped out, I think. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that, he might, so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He liked that God showed mercy to him by bringing him a shade tree. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked God that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant, the plant which I provided to you? 
the plant that you did nothing to cause to grow and to give you relief? Jonah replies, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, we continue to see Jonah's obstinance, insisting that he was right to be angry with the Lord. I wonder, are there places in our lives where we might have this attitude of obstinance against the Lord? Verse 10, the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. And then, as this book concludes, we have what I think is one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. We have this verse which shows the kindness and the sympathy of the Lord for those whom he's created. Verse 11, the Lord says to Jonah, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? and also much cattle. Should I not pity Nineveh, the city with 120,000, and also much cattle? I just love that. And here we see that Jonah was right about this, that the Lord is great, that the Lord is gracious. He's merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and desirous and willing to relent from disaster when sinners repent. And that's our proper response of faith, that we would bow our knee before him, that we would obey him, that we would seek to live out his calling upon our lives, that we would repent of our sins, that we would repent of our sins for a first time, and that we would recognize and turn from our sins from any anger that we might have against him for any reason. Forever feeling like the Lord has done us dirty. The Lord has done us wrong in, in some regard. Where he's not doing for us what we want him to do. Or he's not doing to someone else what we think he should do unto them. We should recognize that forgiveness of sin and eternal life we should recognize that these are gifts of God to be treasured and that he is to be our greatest treasure. Again, that's some of our mem memory verses from this week for the kids. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.8, for you've been saved by grace through faith, this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. We encouraged our children this week that it was good for them to learn about Jonah because Jonah is in the Bible. And it's good to learn about anything and everything that's in the Bible. But we encourage them, as important as it is for them to learn about Jonah, it's even far more important for them to learn about Jesus. And we see our need and God's kindness to us that he's given to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. On the Word, you can see some words here that we shared with the children this week. In addition to Jonah, again, we taught them about Jesus. One of the other words for that first day was jealous. We saw that, that Jonah was jealous. He did not 
want the Ninevites to have, have access to the goodness, the kindness, and mercy of the Lord. But we're also thankful that the Lord is jealous for a people who he is redeeming for his own. The kids learned about that, this word own, that God has redeemed us to be his own, and that he calls us to obey, and that when we refuse to obey, that's called sin. And we communicated with them that sin will be judged. But we also talked to them about Jesus, about this word nailed. And we told them about how and why Jesus was nailed to the cross to pay the penalty for our disobedience. We told them the good news of the gospel that God delights to save sinners. We talked to them about how when we trust in Jesus, God the Father adopts us and welcomes us into his family as his dearly loved sons and daughters. We shared with them John 1.12 that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We talked about the attitude that the Lord desires from us, an attitude of being humbly grateful rather than an attitude that we saw too often in the life of Jonah of being grumbly hateful. And we talked to them about how they can escape the penalty of hell by trusting in Jesus and receiving God's free gift of heaven and eternal life. Let's pray that we all have learned these same lessons. Lord God, we thank you for this past week. We thank you for each and every one of those children, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you are pleased that through the power of your Holy Spirit to drive these truths of Scripture deep down into their hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you have already made them effectual unto salvation in each of their lives. And Lord, if you have not yet done that for these 18 or 19 kids who were with us this week and all those who helped serve, um, we pray that you will yet in your good timing. Do that for these children. Do that for their parents, for their extended families. Lord, do that for us. Do that for those whom we love as well. Lord, thank you that you make it possible for us to escape the penalty of hell by enabling us to trust in Jesus and to receive the free gift of heaven and eternal life. Lord, may we count being your child and being saved and loved by you as being the greatest treasure that we could ever have in our lives. Help us, Lord, to trust in you for a lifetime so that we may enjoy being in your presence forever and that we would not run from you like Jonah tried to do. Amen. Well, in the book of Jonah, the lives of the sailors were saved when they threw Jonah overboard. Jonah was willing to die for his sin so that the innocent might be saved. In this meal which we have prepared for us today, we see, this, see another story shown forth where one was also willing to die for others. But unlike Jonah, Jesus committed no sin. And Jesus was willing to die not for the innocent, but for those who were guilty. Guilty of sin and rebellion against the Lord. Because this God is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that's what we see here in this table. And that's what you will see as the cup is passed to you. Um, pray with me again, please. 
Lord God, we pray that you would be pleased to take these common elements of bread and juice and wine and set them apart for your holy purposes, Lord. We thank you that they show forth the story of one who died and was in the belly of the earth for three days. But we thank you, Father, that you raised your son and that, Jesus, you are now reigning with your Father in heaven. O King, rule over us, we pray. Give us faith. Uh, Grow our faith as we partake of this meal, Lord. Give us the spiritual nourishment that we need to do so. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.